Today on Blue 58, the Packers are in a bad spot, but a lot of their issues are actually a long time coming. Today we're going to get what I think is close to the full picture on one of this year's trouble spots, wide receiver. Why is this group the way that it is? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I've been thinking a lot about wide receivers this week. I've been thinking about wide receivers and one other thing. I guess a bunch of other things. Because the discourse around the Packers right now seems to be centered on the idea that their issues can only be centered on one thing or one person. And that person is Aaron Rodgers. And look, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been perfect, but he's not the only issue on this team. And that's coming from a guy that has previously said and indeed titled a podcast episode that Rodgers is the source of and solution to the Packers' problems. That was partly tongue-in-cheek, but my point is, or was, and still is, that the Packers' passing offense getting better is a big way the Packers get better as a whole. And that's what needed to happen for the Packers to avoid getting into this three and four hole that they're in. And Rodgers is a part of that, a big part of that. He hasn't been perfect this year, hasn't been good as he was last year. And if your offense is predicated on a guy playing at an MVP level to be good, well, how different are you from Mike McCarthy anyway? That's a question for a different day. But Rodgers is a part of the Packers' offensive struggles. But the offensive line is also a part of that. The play calling, the scheming is also a part of it. And wide receivers, yes, are also a part of it, too. Oddly enough, the thing that crystallized all this for me was a clip I heard from Trent Dilfer. I listened to Trent Dilfer talking on the Colin Cowherd radio show for an entire minute and 40 seconds. Don't say I ever didn't ever do anything nice for you. But... He brought up something that I think is germane to the discussion. Let's hear what he had to say. He shouldn't have to be babysitting. That's right. He shouldn't have to be. That's right. He shouldn't have to be in this position. Like, I'm pro Aaron Rodgers on this. Like, go get him some dudes that are vets, that have been there and done it, that know how to make big plays in big moments, that are just on the fly, that you can draw some stuff up in the dirt on the sideline and then go execute it. That's what Aaron Rodgers needs needs he doesn't need a developmental squad that he's asked to put the superman cape on and and go win games in the nfl like i'm totally pro Aaron on this but i think you're right like fit is a huge thing and the organization has to recognize this be like we have one of the greatest football players that's ever walked the planet what can we do to support him besides just drafting a bunch of talented guys like let's go find them dudes that are long in the tooth that know how to win football games now, to recap there, he's, he's saying he wants the Packers to go out and get some guys, presumably right now, that are going to help Aaron Rodgers win games, that are going to improve the Packers' offense right now. Veteran players. Who are those guys? He doesn't really answer the question. And I think it's the wrong question to begin with, because those guys aren't available. Barring an insane trade, they're not coming. You are not going to get one of the top-end receivers in the NFL unless you really pay up a lot of money. Not a lot of money, but a lot of draft capital. You understand what I'm saying. I wrote a piece last week on the power sweep about trading for DJ Moore. Trading for a guy like him 
might improve your offense, but you're going to have to give up a whole ton to get him. And you have to convince a team that just signed him to an extension to give him up and take on all the cap hit that goes along with that for that to even be part of the conversation. And Moore isn't one of these guys, I think, that, that, that Dilfer or anybody else is even talking about. He's talking about the the ultra, ultra high-end guys, the veterans that have been around, you know, multiple Pro Bowls, multiple All-Pros, and I just don't think those guys are out there. But as we've talked about in passing before, the better question is why haven't you done something before now? Why did it take all the way to 2022 to start investing in wide receivers? That is a complicated question to answer. And I think you can look back at every missed opportunity the Packers have had and just say, well, if they have drafted this guy instead of this guy, things all would have worked out. And, and we're going to do a little bit of that in here in a second. But we, you have to ask yourself what created those conditions in the first place. So looking at the draft, looking at free agency, what are the moves the Packers have made that prevented them from having some of those guys right now? How did the wide receiver position get to be how it is today? And I really think you have to start back in 2015 to get the answer. Because in the 2015 draft, the Packers went defensive back, defensive back to start the draft. Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins. Now, I'm not saying there was a wide receiver that they should have taken in the draft that year. But neither Randall or Rollins, and you can go a long way toward figuring out exactly why, but neither of them worked out of the NFL. And for, for that matter, neither did the wide receiver the Packers took next, Ty Montgomery. But long term, neither Randall or Rollins worked out in the NFL. The next year, the Packers don't draft any receivers high, but they do get Kenny Clark early. So it's not like you would have done something, something else there. But by 2017... Demarius Randall is gone. Quentin Rollins, gone too, or headed that way. So what do the Packers have to do? They have to go back to the well and draft another pair of defensive backs. They take Kevin King and Josh Jones. Now, I'm not, again, saying that there's somebody else the Packers should have taken in the 2017 draft, but that's now four high draft picks in two years that the Packers have had to spend on defensive backs. And... By the 2018 draft, it becomes apparent that neither Kevin King or Josh Jones is going to work out. So, Brian Gutekunst takes over in 2018. He has to take another defensive back, Jair Alexander, to shore up the Packers' secondary. And who was available in the 2018 draft? Well, if you're keeping in contemporary Packers circles and you know the object of, of their desire at wide receiver, DJ Moore should be a pretty familiar name because the Packers make their selection in 2018, taking Jair Alexander 18th overall and DJ Moore goes six picks later at 24. Now I'm not saying they would have taken him or would have been interested in taking him, but Ridley was on the, or, but um, DJ Moore is on the board. Calvin Ridley was on the board and they were out of consideration for the Packers because they needed another defensive back. Shoot. Cortland Sutton is there too. He's been a better high-end draft pick than the Packers had in that same span at wide receiver. Shoot, if you really want to get specific, you could say Christian Kirk at 47, two picks after the Packers took Josh Jackson. 
But the problem started because the Packers have had to spend all this draft capital on on corners. Then you get more specific from there. 2019, they take Jay Sternberger in the third round. Terry McLaurin goes a pick, pick later. 2020, they trade up to get Jordan Love. Just a couple picks after they would have been sitting on the on the draft clock at, at 30, you got T. Higgins and Michael Pittman going off the board. 2021, they decide to trade up to get Amari Rodgers. A couple picks later, Nico Collins goes. He has been a useful wide receiver in the NFL. Amari Rodgers has not. You hit on a couple of those defensive back picks, and you can spend draft capital on a receiver that develops into a long-in-the-tooth dude by 2022 or 2021 or even 2020. You don't miss on these other picks. You've got guys around that have developed by 2022. But things go deeper than that. If you want to look at at free agency too, the Packers have gone to the well and come up dry. If you just want to talk about guys that have turned the Packers down, your list gets pretty long. In 2018, the Packers released Jordy Nelson and they turned their attention to Allen Robinson who gets out of Jacksonville and is a free agent for the first time in 2018, he said no, signing for basically the same amount of money that the Packers ended up giving to Jimmy Graham and Muhammad Wilkerson, maybe a couple million more, but it was in the ballpark. Packers got a little bit cheap, and they get burned by Jimmy Graham and Muhammad Wilkerson, neither of whom were worth the money that they were paid. In 2020, they're in on receiver Emmanuel Sanders who turned the Packers down to sign with the New Orleans Saints. In 2021, Emmanuel Sanders turns down the Packers again. Odell Beckham Jr. turns down the Packers again as they go down the stretch. And there was some creative accounting there from the Rams in terms of not likely to be earned incentives and likely to be earned incentives and things like that. But even then, 2021 offseason, Nelson Aguilar is available. Kendrick Bourne is available. Deshaun Jackson was available for virtually all of 2021, and he wasn't fantastic, but do you think he might have made a difference in a playoff game with no healthy receivers other than Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard? You had Randall Cobb out there, but he was in his first game back from a a core muscle injury. How close to 100% do you really think he was? The point is, we arrive in 2022 with Alan Lazard, aging and injured, Sammy Watkins, who is, you know, in the ballpark, same age-wise as Devontae Adams, but has been hurt far more often. Randall Cobb on the wrong side of 30. Three rookies and Amari Rodgers. Why don't they have those guys that are long in the tooth, that are the dogs, that are the veterans that can go out and win those games? Because they swung and missed a whole bunch of times in the draft. And then when they did have opportunities, they missed on other guys. That's the story. That's what's gotten them to this point. The Packers could have taken a swing to correct along the way too, but things get more difficult once you start trying to do things like add veterans via a trade. We got a question in our our Discord server from the Frozen Cheeseburger asking this, should the Packers have traded some picks for an established elite wide receiver two to complement Devontae Adams, like a Julio Jones or A.J. Brown or Hollywood Brown or DeAndre Hopkins, etc.? Other teams seem to be doing it successfully. Why can't we? I'm thinking talent who might a quarter, want a quarterback upgrade or a real shot at a Super Bowl compared to the teams they're on right now. A guy like Terry McLaurin, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, or D.J. Moore. Now, 
we're going to address the specifics here first, but then generally, is this a good idea? Specifically, McLaurin, Metcalf, Samuel, and Moore are all virtually untradeable from a contract perspective right now. They all signed extensions this offseason. Metcalf and Debo signed big deals. DJ Moore signed a big deal. Terry McLaurin signed a big deal. Even if they're not on great teams, why would their teams want to trade them now? Hey, we just paid a whole bunch of money to this guy. We're just going to turn around and flip him because why exactly? Like none of these teams signed these guys thinking, okay, we're going to sign this guy we think is good, but then if our team's bad, we're not going to want to keep him around. No, they think they, they have a good player. They want to keep him. But to Frozen Cheeseburger's question, should they have been doing this a while ago? A trade for, say, like 2018 Julio Jones, or even like 2020 Julio Jones, or more contemporary, or in a more contemporary example, A.J. Brown, is probably too expensive for the look for the sort of investment that you're looking for. But in a situation where you've got a Devontae Adams on the roster, I think sending a mid or late round pick for a veteran like the Packers and not to say since things have changed in his career since then, but the Packers sniffed around on Robbie Anderson for a long time and they never decided they wanted to do a deal but the Packers have been in need of a sidekick for Devontae Adams for some time. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, all due respect to him, but he was not always the most consistent performer. Alan Lazard is great within scheme. I think we're seeing some of the stuff this year that would lead you to suggest that maybe the Packers probably didn't think of him as the, the ultimate compliment to Devontae Adams, and they may have had some reason why. I'm not, to say, not saying he's bad, but... Guys that can win one-on-one away from Devontae Adams have been in short supply in Green Bay, and the Packers haven't really invested there a lot. And if you can't get guys at the top end of the draft, trading for guys with those mid-to-late-round picks who maybe can just give you a little bit more opposite Devontae Adams probably would have been a good strategy. But here we are in 2022, and that's how we ended up here. It's been a a long percolating issue, and the Packers took some extreme measures to try to fix it this spring. They spent, in essence, four draft picks on receivers. They traded up in the second round to get Christian Watson. They they draft Romeo Dobbs, and they draft Samari Ture. That's an attempt at a fix, but it really, I don't think, is a realistic option for trying to fix things in 2022, and I think the Packers have known that which is why I don't think their struggles on offense here early in the season, heading towards middle of the season now, can be entirely surprising to the Packers' front office. Surely they didn't expect things to be this bad. But it's it, it, it surely is not entirely a surprise either. We've got a related question here concerning the Packers' draft performance. The Jet Sweep guy asks about... Brian Gutekunst, if you could find a way to work in a question on draft evaluation as a part of this year's struggle, which players drafted by Brian Gutekunst are currently better than average starters? Well, let's look draft by draft. We've got five seasons worth of draft picks now for Brian Gutekunst, and I'm not going to talk about everybody, but we're, we're going to talk about just the hits. So 2018, you've got two hits, I think, Jair Alexander and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Jair for sure is an above-average starter. 
MVS, I would say right there at average to above average starter. In the right circumstances, he's a, he's a, a very usable player. So Ron Wolf always said that he was trying to get three hits every draft. 2018, Packers got two. Slow start. 2019, you got Rashawn Gary. He's a hit for sure. You've got Elton Jenkins. I would say he's a hit for sure. Struggles this year aside. You got to remember, and, and I, I wanted to turn this into a larger thing on Jenkins. You got to remember, he's not even a year removed. He's just closing in, I think, on 11 months removed from his ACL injury. Just looking at his game logs from 2021, he tore his ACL in the second uh, Vikings game. That was November 21st, 2021. So we've just now hit 11 months from his ACL injury. Yeah, I think he might be coming along a little bit slow this year. Like you were at the start of the season, barely into, barely out of single digit months since his ACL injury. Yep, if he's out there, he's got he's to gotta perform for sure. But coming along a little bit slowly shouldn't be that big of a surprise either. So two hits for sure in 2019. Darnell Savage, boy, as of late 2020, I would have said for sure at least an average to above average starter. Now I think we're, we're on the below average side of that, and he's been pretty bad in 2022. 2020. The hits are slim. You've got John Runyon Jr. And I think that might be it right now. A.J. Dillon is not playing like an above average starter. It's It's been a rough go for A.J. so far this year. I mean, the balance of his NFL career, yeah, I would say average to above average NFL starter, but his yards per carry have gone down every year, sitting at 3.9 right now. In the receiving game, he just does not seem to have the same touch that he did in the past. He's down to four yards per target this year. He is not an average running back in the NFL right now. They just cannot find a way to use him effectively. So we'll say one hit in that class, maybe two, if you look at the balance of his career. But for 2022, I don't think Dylan is there. 2021. I think the the hits right now are are pretty much limited to Josh Myers. I'm not sure about Eric Stokes. Last year, I would have said yes for sure. This year, it's been a tough go. The ball skills still don't seem to be there. It, he, he can be taken advantage of. And the things that he seemed to struggle with last year don't seem to have improved a whole lot here in year two. Now, to his credit, he has been fairly durable. He's a pretty good tackler in the run game, usually, though he does miss from time to time, but that's the 2022 NFL. Tackling isn't always great. Average starter. Above average starter, I wouldn't say so right now. He's not as good as Rasul Douglas, who I would think is an above average starter. I think it's pretty much Josh Myers. It's not Royce Newman. TJ Slayton is good, but he barely gets on the field, so I don't think you can really give him much much more than an incomplete grade at best. Then you've got guys like Shamar John Charles, Colvin Lannon, Isaiah McDuffie, Kylan Hill. Bit players at best. And then 2022, 
I don't think we're there yet. But some promising candidates. Quay Walker, up and down, but pointed in the right direction, albeit at a like a non-premium position. Romeo Dobbs has had some struggles recently, but I would say still probably the arrow still slightly pointing up. Zach Tom, a promising debut. If you're looking for above-average starters, though, the list is pretty thin, and I don't think there's been a class yet where Gutekunst has gotten three hits. The big one here is Jordan Love, and I've been as critical of that pick as anybody. With the caveat, as always, that if he turns out to be like a Pro Bowl or All-Pro or MVP caliber player, all of this has been worth it because you'll keep him for the next 10 to 15 years. But if he doesn't, that is a huge swing and a miss. And unfortunately, the jury is still out right now. Or maybe, I guess in a way, fortunately, the jury is still out right now. Because Aaron Rodgers has been good enough that that pick hasn't mattered yet. Except when it comes to guys that you could have taken that wide receiver instead, which we talked about earlier on this very episode. We got another good question from the always reliable Carl Anderson in our Discord server. Always well thought out, very thoughtful questions from Carl. And I uh, really appreciate that from everybody in our Discord server. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to be a member there, patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Any dollar amount per month gets you into the Discord server, gets you a chance to ask questions and interact with Packers fans from all over the world. Great community, great place to be. If you need help understanding things, if you need help finding information or data or just stuff to read or talk about, I don't know if there's a better place on the internet than the Power Sweeps Discord server, and I would highly recommend you checking it out. Patreon.com slash the Power Sweep. One dollar a month gets you in the door. Carl Anderson asks, the past press conferences with Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, he has responded to questions about the offense in general in certain plays in particular with phrases like they were showing two man high or they were in a two shell as if that was an excuse. He's often looked like he's in disbelief that the offense has no pill against that poison, so to speak. Given the current state of the offense and the players, what would be the best way to attack those cover two looks? And what's the probability of actually managing to pull it off over the coming games? Because I'm sure our opponents are going to show these looks. Side note, I don't really like the way he signals the offense's weakness. It seems like teams lately are doing copy-paste from the Packers' previous opponent when it comes to defensive game plans. Sure, it's all there on tape, but signal something else, please. Well, part of that is Aaron Rodgers, and part of that is Matt LaFleur. Because, and Aaron Rodgers has talked about this, and Matt LaFleur has even kind of referenced it obtusely a couple times, defenses are making their calls based on the Packers' personnel. It was last week on on Pat McAfee's show that Aaron Rodgers sat down and said, yeah, what we're seeing is like when we come out with with A.J. Dillon and Mercedes Lewis on the field together, they sit there in single high because they know they can load up against the run because if Mercedes and and A.J. Dillon are in the game, they know we're running the ball. And then if Aaron's out on the field, Aaron Jones, they go back to their two high and they they know that we're going to lean towards pass. Or it, it was more eloquent than that, obviously. But basically, based on the Packers' personnel, the defense is able to to line up because they know what's coming. They know what the Packers are going to do. And that is as big a problem than calling anything specific um, to attack cover two or single high or anything like that. The Packers need to take a look at their own approach before they try to dictate to the defense based on the defense's coverage 
or alignment or things like that as opposed to anything else. So that is where you start. In terms of actual calls and things like that, I think what you have to look at is not so much specific plays as tendency breakers. So the defense is in a cover two or a single high or cover three or whatever because they think they've seen something from you in a given down and distance situation or personnel package or formation that indicates you're going to do something that you've done before. Defenses are guessing to an extent, but they also know with a fairly high degree of accuracy what you're going to do, at least if they've studied what you've done previously. Now, the way you get around that is you have to break your tendencies. And that's something that we've talked about the last couple of weeks in terms of running in suboptimal situations. A big problem with the Packers right now is that they're letting the defense dictate to them. The Packers come out, they've got an RPO on. And Aaron Rodgers wants to make that call based on pre-snap numbers. So the defense knows that they love their RPOs in a given down and distance. And they want to make that call for Aaron Rodgers. So what do they do? They load up and show a heavy run front. And then they know that Aaron Rodgers is passing. They adjust from there on the fly. And you end up with that fourth down play against the Giants where the Giants showed heavy. Aaron Rodgers says, okay, we got a situation where it's not advantageous to run based on the numbers here. I'm going to pass. The Giants back out at the snap. Ball gets batted down. Game's over. So you got to break your tendencies. It's not specific play calls. It's doing things that you wouldn't normally do in those situations to take advantage of the defense trying to to play on your tendencies because that's all that defense really comes down to anyway. You're playing tendencies and you're trying to take advantages of weaknesses within those tendencies. And Carl is right. The Packers, it's not so much Aaron Rodgers signaling the weaknesses. It's Aaron Rodgers acknowledging that they're signaling the weaknesses based on their tendencies. And they got to break those tendencies. Otherwise, defenses are going to just continue to dictate to the Packers what the Packers are going to do. And that's not a winning recipe, no matter what. Finally, MSC Buck writes, given the Tom Clements grade comment from Aaron Rodgers, how much do you think the coaches trust the offensive line? Maybe I'm reading between the lines, but that comment to me seems to indicate that Clements actually thinks Aaron Rodgers executed the game plan well, minus the drops. His stats were actually pretty good last game. Maybe one of the reasons we're seeing so much quick stuff is not only Rodgers, but the coaches aren't trusting what the offensive line can do on a week-to-week basis, either due to injury, shuffling, roster, etc., and are trying to figure out ways to get the ball out quickly. All of this is maybe Rodgers just deflecting blame, but it also makes me think that all these quick things are potentially by some sort of design. Completely agree with your assessment there. I think you're spot on. So, uh, again, referencing the Pat McAfee show, Aaron Rodgers gets on today, and he says that he got his highest grade of the year from Tom Clements after the Washington game. Now, maybe that that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a high game for one thing. Uh, but it, it's possible that he did get his highest grade of the season in that Washington game because it does seem to my eyes at least, that Aaron Rodgers didn't play terrible. It wasn't perfect, but there were a lot of things other than Aaron Rodgers that led to Aaron Rodgers looking like he had a poor game. The Packers still didn't go downfield all that much. Their intermediate game is nowhere to be found. But there are factors other than Rodgers that made this this game go poorly for the Packers. And one of those things, I think, is Aaron Rodgers executing the game plan, but the receivers and, and other people just not being at the level that they're supposed to be. I 100% think that the coaches do not trust this offensive line right now. Tom, uh, Zach Tom got a ton of help. Uh, there was a couple of great film breakdowns uh, at a couple different websites about the things the Packers are doing to to help uh, Zach Tom on Sunday, which 
limits the receivers you can have out in the route. So that's a big play calling issues. And, and thinking that Tom isn't going to be able to hold his block all that long, you, you want to go quick anyway. So that's part of the game plan. The offensive line, these previous six weeks uh, being really unsteady on the right side, that affects how, how often you want to go deep. If you're looking for a specific way to get around that, I think you've got to look at moving Aaron Rodgers a little bit around a little bit more, get him outside the pocket, roll out stuff, let him get down the field and make sure the wide receivers are in the right spots down the field because that that's been a problem at a, a couple different junctures too. But I don't think the coaches trust the offensive line yet. I don't think Aaron Rodgers trusts them, but I think that combination is working together to result in this sort of quick game offense that the Packers are running and just running it not all that particularly well. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.